My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and <clears throat> understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perseverance, perverseness of evil, <clears throat> men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will maintain in it, remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not pull over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. That's from Psalm 19, and it really does, in some ways, summarize what I wanted to say. So uh, it's actually part of our Presbyterian system that the elders will preach from time to time, and uh, since Will and his family needed to quarantine today, and uh, actually Jeff had heroically found a way that we could pipe in his voice, but we thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity for one of the elders to preach. And so here I am. And uh, every time I preach, I always remind myself that God does have a sense of humor. And uh, in addition to the obvious inference you might draw from that, that my 
preaching may be laughable, but uh, is, I'm thinking of where I was 50 years ago uh, when, uh, as a high school student, if you'd asked me what I would end up doing in life, I said, well, I definitely will find some job where I never have to stand up in front of crowds and speak publicly. <laughs> and if you'd asked me about preaching, I said, which I had said at the time, there's no way on earth I'd ever become a Christian. So the first point of my sermon is God always has the last laugh. Um, so the, um, and I've changed. And this uh, passage today, I would, you know, I don't preach that often, so I want to share a passage that really for me was, had a defining influence on me because I became a Christian from just reading the, the Bible and I really knew desperately and I needed to change. And uh, I didn't know how. And so this chapter, which is laid out actually as a poem, it's 22 verses. It's almost like a, a lot of Hebrew um, uh, poems are acrostics. In other words, they, they start with successive letters of the alphabet, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Deleth. This one is 22 verses, but actually the first 11 start with Aleph, and then the, the, um, the second group of 11 start with Lamed, which is the 12th, so sort of halfway through the Hebrew. So they have fun with, with words. So I want to, since I am a physics, physics professor in my day job, I want to give an illustration and to tie this together that, um, that comes from physics. About 100 years ago, well, 100 years ago, there were two physicists, one in particular, who had become a rock star. It's not clear that this is a good thing. But in other words, they'd become outrageously popular, like a household term which previously in history, I don't think it ever happened. And uh, it was on the occasion, uh, well, actually, the, the observations that made it happen happened in uh, May 29, 1919, uh, during a total eclipse. And um, Arthur Eddington was, trying, was testing Einstein's theory of general relativity. And it turns out that when you have an eclipse, you can see the stars during the daytime. And if you look at the stars that are close to the sun, what you see, and what they did observe, is that they actually, their positions in the sky appear to be moved, moved uh, toward the sun. And Einstein predicted this, that even light would be subject to, to gravity. And um, actually in Newton's theory, there was a gravitational effect on light, but it wasn't, wasn't correct. But Einstein predicted exactly what was observed. And um, the way Eddington, you know, uh, made this, uh, communicated it so effectively to the public, it made Einstein overnight basically a rock star. And by 1922, which is 100 years ago, there were hundreds of books in print and, and more hundreds coming out of all about, about this now, the interesting thing is that uh, what 1919, so Einstein actually wrote his theory in 1915, and he was desperately trying to get uh, some confirmation whether it was right or wrong. And so he was crying out for help. But of course, he was in Germany, 
And there were two problems. Well, there was World War I. So all the, all the communication lines, the, the actual um, yeah, communication lines were cut. And, uh, and so, uh, and this really affected the whole world of astronomy. They, it shut down scientific communication. And so they had to find alternate ways. But then on, on top of it, Einstein was a pacifist and it made public uh, denunciations of German aggression uh, during World War I, uh, sinking of you know, civilian boats and things like this. And, uh, and so he was in bad terms with his own government. Um, but the point is that he was, he was seeking for help and he needed help. And he actually had to work very hard to even understand his own the consequences of his own uh, theory. Now, you know, that's um, it's because research is hard work. And uh, in fact, uh, one of my favorite Einstein quotes, which I often tell my students is, if we knew exactly what we were doing, it wouldn't be called research now, would it? And uh, so I often pull that one. But the... Um, Validating his theory was hard, although now anybody who has a cell phone, if your GPS works, you've just validated Einstein's theory because you need it uh, in order to be able to predict GPS correctly. So, but even Eddington, actually one of my favorite, Edding, he's almost as quotable as Einstein, maybe you don't know him, but Einstein became a household word anyway. But Eddington said, you know, science is one thing, wisdom is another. And uh, so finding wisdom is harder because science limits itself to the, the shape of things. But, but wisdom, you have to understand their meaning. And this goes beyond. Now, you may have absolutely no interest in Einstein. You know, it's not uncommon. And I... And that would mean that it's going to be very hard for you to understand his theory. Most people think it's the mathematics, and even Einstein felt the mathematics was hard. But, uh, but the truth is, uh, in my experience as a professor, that actually the main thing that you need is motivation. If a student is motivated, if they, if they uh, trust you so that they actually hear what you have to say and... and, and appraise it as valuable, and if um, they store up what you say, they, they, they remember it, they think about it, they, they store up what you're saying in their hearts, if uh, they turn their ear to understand, in other words, realize you've got to change your perspective if you're going to understand this, and if they apply their heart to understanding, if they were to do their homework sets as if they were searching for silver and hidden treasure, <laughs> now I'm really fantasizing as a professor, um, then they would indeed understand it and find and understand it. But, and that's great. And the interesting thing about wisdom is it has some parallels, as we'll see in our text today, you really need to work hard. You need to apply yourself. You need to be willing to reorient yourself a little bit. Perspective. But then the question becomes, well, how can you find it? 
because, as I mentioned, even uh, Eddington realized that finding wisdom was a lot harder than finding out scientific truth, which you can follow by a reasonably uh, straightforward procedure sometimes. Well, let's, uh, I want to look at uh, the words of Job on this, because Job actually addresses this. And this is from Job chapter 28. Man's hand assaults the flinty rock and lays bare the roots of the mountains. He tunnels through the rock. His eyes see all its treasures. He searches the sources of the rivers and brings hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are hardly worth mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Kush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It's hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed from even the birds of the air. Death and destruction say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. So that was from, from Job. And so you might think, well, wisdom, okay, it's, uh, it requires supernatural. Well, the fact is, understanding and understanding is supernatural. You want to have an everyday experience of the supernatural? Then just try understanding any one thing. Because it really is not, it's something which is not reducible to form, to what a mathematician would do in physics. You can't do that with understanding. And so I remember as a student, uh, people, you know, becoming cynical about it. Oh, well then, we'll never, you, you can never ever know anything about God, so you might as well just do whatever. And, um, well, the problem with that is that you can't really live that way, as if you don't understand a single thing. So our passage uh, today, and let's go through it verse by verse, is really, has some answers for this. And um, as I say, this is really, I've, I, this is a passage that, that has been a big part of my life. So I've, I've done the experiment, if you will. My prayer today is that if you're, if you're not a Christian, that you'll realize just how horrible it is for yourself and for others for you to live without wisdom. And I pray that you would seek the Lord while he may be found in the past as we, uh, as we read during the liturgy today. And, uh, and if you are a Christian, I pray that you will realize just the same thing. 
just how terrible it is to live without wisdom and how desperately the world and your own, the people around you need you to live and to seek after wisdom. And you know, in physics, what makes it hard is that people underestimate just how difficult it is, and so then they, they give up. But if you're searching for treasure, you don't give up. So let's look at our, our text today. I'm used to doing everything from memory, so... There we are. Lost a page. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. So the first verse really is a father speaking to a son. So if you want to gain wisdom, you have to trust the teacher. And if you don't trust the voice of God, then it's going to be hard for you to learn wisdom. And store up my commands with you, within you. It's like uh, I remember C.S. Lewis saying, you know, if you, you want to make progress, you've, you need to have a well-stocked mind. <laughs> you, have to, you have to have something to think about. So if you trust the teacher and you store up his commands, that's step one. And that's the beginning place. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Well, as I mentioned, you turn your ear to wisdom. If you're going to receive it, you have to have the correct perspective. And so, so much of understanding wisdom is having yourself facing the correct direction and asking the right questions and applying your heart to understanding. That means that it, you don't know the answer instantly and you have to learn how to apply your heart to it. In other words, to, to enter into it and say, well, what if this is what I'm being told here is correct? What does that mean for me? And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, in the case of the, of the student, it means coming to office hours and asking questions. <laughs> but in here, what it means is that you have actually available to you people who you can go to ask for help. And also implied in this is that we can go to the Lord himself for help crying aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, that means we're motivated to the point that we don't give up instantly. We keep, keep trying even long after it seems like you should give up. 
Now, all these things, you, as I said, you could apply these to a student. You could think, well, now that's, if you want to succeed in school, you should follow these steps. And these would be the five steps to wisdom. And, uh, and actually, I think for th this is ex extremely good advice for students, actually, I would say. But of course, uh, we had said that wisdom can't be found the way science can be found. It requires supernatural. It, it comes from the mouth of God. It has to be come directly from him. So how can, you, how can you succeed then? All that work, how can it possibly work? Well, the text actually says, do all this. And then, verse 5 just says, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's an amazing statement, but let's see why. First of all, what, is it, what does it mean to understand the fear of the Lord? When I think of the fear of the Lord, and it's spoken of throughout Scripture, my favorite passage is uh, Exodus. In fact, I think particularly Exodus 20.20, 20, 20, 20 meaning you've got good vision. At, it, if you remember at Sinai, and Moses reads the Ten Commandments, and the people respond there in, in Exodus, they, well, let me just read it, starting at verse 18, actually. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, now, if you want to understand the fear of the Lord, listen carefully. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So whatever the fear of the Lord is, it's not being afraid of God. In fact, what we read is, unfortunately, the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Moses feared God. And uh, in fact, what he said to the Lord was, Lord, if you love us, teach us how to live so that we can, so that we can do what you want. And later he said, unless you go with us, don't send us. Because otherwise we'll be no different from any other people on the face of the earth. So this fear of the Lord has to do with you understand something about the, the immensity of God when you seek Him that you wouldn't get if you just sit on your couch. So when you search for wisdom, part of what you learn in that search is just how different and, and the holiness of God is really, part of it is just He's very different from us. Thankfully. And, uh, but that means if we're going to understand him, we can't do it without his help. So we shouldn't presume to know until God speaks. But then, we're told we'll find the knowledge of God. But how? In spite of all, you know, in the, in the face of all of that difficulty, Well, 
The answer is, for the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord is more willing to give than we are to ask. In other words, what it's saying here, the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. There's no lack of willingness on God's part to communicate wisdom to us. And the reinforcement of this in Scripture is everywhere. We read some of it already this morning. Remember um, Matthew 7, 7? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. And then, in case you didn't understand, he's saying, you know, if you, if your son asks you for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? And even though you human beings, you're all evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. Why do you think God wouldn't give you a good gift if you asked him? And um, the verse that I had, uh, it's our theme verse on the bulletin there from, from James, right? If anyone has, lacks wisdom, you should ask God for him, who gives generously without finding fault. And it will be given to him. And of course, there's also Isaiah 55, which I noticed was also in the liturgy this morning. Right? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Come, call to him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Why? Because let him come to the Lord and the Lord will forgive him. And then it's also explained why the Lord will do this in, in Isaiah 55. The Lord says, well, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. Neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways. So if God were like us, finding wisdom would be impossible. But, um, but because he's not like us, wisdom is there. So even though it may be the hardest thing you ever do, and I think it is the hardest thing you'll ever do, uh, the search for wisdom is not futile. Even in smaller things, like going back to my experience as a professor, every PhD student that I've ever worked with, you know, when, the, when you start your PhD studies, it's intimidating. You think, of, you know, everything's already known. You open the books and it seems like everything's already been done. And you must have to be some super intelligent person in order to, to, to do anything new. And... Uh, a lot of the job of the professor is to say, no, store my commands within you. Turn your ear to wisdom. And if you follow, <laughs> literally, those steps are very practical steps for students. And the truth is, every single one of them has been able to add something that nobody else has ever done. Something, it may, you know, it, it may not be revolutionizing daily life, but it's something that's valuable and useful and it's just going to help everybody understand things better and better. So even, even in small things like determining the form of things, as we do in physics, it's not futile. And here we have an even much more wonderful and beautiful promise that it's not in vain. 
when we seek wisdom from God himself. To understand things which are hidden from the entire world. Even, as Job says, even the birds can't see it from their perspective. Well, let's keep going. Because a lot of the, the second half of the, and even already starting here at verse 7, you're starting to see how the Lord desires to bless us in every imaginable way, and yet we often are sitting there on our couch with our arms folded, thinking uh, bitterness. So let's see what, what it says. It says, you'll find Wisdom, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless. Now, if you're like me, when every time I read a verse like that, I'm like, oh, he's a shield to those whose walk is blameless. Well, that counts me out. I'm not blameless. But then you have to realize who does God consider blameless? When we come to him in repentance, then the scripture says, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. So he sees he was blameless. So the promise applies to you. He guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Now just think about the alternative that you wouldn't be protected. or So if we go blundering through life, we can expect lots of pain. Well, I think the fact is that in this life, you will have many troubles, no matter what, even if you're seeking after wisdom. But as it says in Ecclesiastes, you know, looking at all the pain and suffering in life, still, wisdom is better than folly, just like light is better than darkness. <laughs> so you're going to have a difficult life, one way or the other, but it's going to be a lot better if you have wisdom than if you're stubbing your toe absolutely every turn. And then there's a wonderful promise here. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Not only knowing right from wrong and good from evil, but even being able to negotiate subtle things where uh, you're worried about fairness. In other words, where people's like a judge, so that you can rule in an ambiguous situation and have it be acknowledged as the best solution. Wisdom will enter your heart. Now here's the thing. I, for me, existentially, as a Christian, one of the biggest changes for me is to delight. You see, when your heart is changed, that you actually delight in what God says so that you... Wisdom is sweet to you. So that when you hear it, you're like, yes, that's right. That's good. And it will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you. Understanding will guard you. You'll be making decisions which keep you from suffering and others, keeping others from suffering. Then, even more to the point, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. Now, the thing is that a lot of times we, we don't seek after wisdom because we're fairly comfortable with where we are. But the problem is, and I remember as a 
50 years ago, going through this logic in my mind. Because thinking about all the world, you know, every, every 30 seconds in America, there's a violent crime. You know? That's a violent crime. That's not talking about people just being mean to each other. You know, if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see that God is concerned with not just, you know, these outward punching and kicking and biting. It's much deeper. But even if you just limit yourself to the, the outward violence every 30 seconds, you know, and every four seconds some, there's some crime against property, someone's property. And, you know, and in that end, you know, rape every few seconds. But how many times even more frequently are, are women just disrespected? So if you, if you try to understand the heart of God, I've often thought, wow, how can God look at earth and even take it? There's a constant din of blasphemy and people angrily yelling at God and then murdering. And uh, if you open your heart to what's going on in the world, uh, it's horrifying. And so I had <laughs> what ultimately brought me to Christ <laughs> was I had an ambition. I don't want to be an axe murderer. <laughs> I don't want to be one of those people who does harm on the earth. And that may seem like, oh, that's a pretty low bar. Except if you realize that every axe murderer and maniac, Adolf Hitler himself, thought he was a really good guy and was actually doing the world a lot of good. So if you think you're doing a lot of good to the world, that isn't any guarantee that you're not causing trouble and that you're not hurting people left and right. And ultimately I realized that unless God opened my eyes so that I could see what I was doing to others, I'd be just one more human being perpetrating disaster on the face of the earth. So what he says here is that wisdom will save you from the ways of being wicked. Then you will not be hurting people left and right. And if you look at the world, you, it's just hard to look at this world and say, well, everything's pretty much okay. It isn't really okay. And then the question is, and then people just give up or be cynical, but then the question is, what if wisdom is right there and that God is even more eager to give us wisdom than we are to ask for it? And that makes it even more tragic if we don't, if we don't reach out. Because when the ways of the wicked, they leave the straight paths and walk in dark ways. Delight in doing wrong. Rejoice in the perverseness of evil. Crooked and devious ways. All these things that really, it's not just hurting yourself, you're hurting everybody else. And of course, in the last verses, he talks about the fact that God will, in fact, judge the world. At one point, I was tempted, like so many people, to say, well, there's so much evil, and you've got to blame God. But then I read that, uh, well, when I first read the Bible, I was astounded, because I, I realized that all the criticisms I've heard of it were written by people who hadn't actually read it, because I realized that they hadn't... Uh, they didn't know what it said. But to me, when I read that God's going to judge the world, I'm like, well, you can't blame him for evil. He's going to deal with it. <laughs> right. He is. And, uh, and he's going to make a statement. And he has a right to make a statement about it. 
So, so then we see that the real problem is not that there aren't solutions available. I'm often amazed when a discovery is made in science, how much it's been sitting on the table right in front of our noses for a long time. And we just didn't think to ask the right question. And so if it's so close, what then really is the problem? The problem is our alienation from God. And this brings us back, and now we can understand the work of Christ. Because God knows the problem. And so he sent Christ to solve the problem for us. And in Christ, as Paul tells us, are hidden all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. Let's see what... Let's take a few more uh, words from Paul. This is from 1 Corinthians. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligent of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world it could not find him. For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him. And now here's talking about my preaching. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So I think our problem is that we haven't understood what God has been doing. Nor even how the best way to respond to our own disastrous situation of mankind, what the best solution is. Now science definitely has a place, a valuable one, I, you know, I would argue. And a vigorous effort is, is totally part of that. And it's also part of seeking wisdom. But the real question is, starting with the first line of chapter 2, does God have our attention? Does God have your attention? And if you say, no, I'm actually quite content with myself, then I would, as a friend, just recommend, pray that by God's Holy Spirit that he'll light a fire in you so that you won't be content with the world the way it is. And uh, my dear Christian brothers and sisters, I hope that you see how desperately this world needs Christians who are full of wisdom. Just bring you right here to One Ancient Hope. If we're going to find out how, as a church, to bless this city 
in a way that really communicates the gospel effectively. We're going to need everybody with all the wisdom they can help us with. And, and don't think that it's on the elders just to figure out everything. It's the church. And together, we will have what we need. I'm trusting. Or maybe today you're discouraged, and I could understand why. But this passage indicates that help is not far away. All you have to do is ask. Well, there's much more that could be said about how we change and grow as Christians. And uh, I'll just give you a homework assignment. Romans chapter 6. And maybe if I'm given the opportunity to preach again, I'll, I'll preach on that text. But I pray my prayer for you and for myself is that we will not give up. We'll keep searching as for a hidden treasure. Because uh, at, when I was a graduate student, one of the things I did was, in my desperate search for wisdom, I took all the Proverbs, sorted them out, tried to figure out what wisdom was based on an analysis of all the Proverbs. And at the end of it, my conclusion, although I'm not, I'm not by no means a uh, scholar on these things, but my conclusion was... Wisdom is found by doing just exactly what Moses did. You go up in the mountain, because in the presence of God, that's where you'll find wisdom. And if you're with him, then you'll, you'll solve every problem. And if you're off on your own, um, wisdom's going to be far away. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you love us more than we love ourselves. And that you're more willing to give us good things than we are to ask for them. But I pray, Lord, that you will motivate us. That you will light a fire in your people. And Lord, in the hearts of all, to seek after you. Because it's not in vain. And Lord, we praise you that you even extend your unfailing love promised to David, your hesed to those who seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.